And welcome back to the Blueprint. How are we doing today, SJ? What's up, JV? How are you doing, man? I'm not too bad. What about yourself? Always well, mate. You know, live every single day with a smile on your face. That's why I say don't let shit get you down, bro. Look at life big picture. Yeah, you know what, actually? I don't actually remember the last time I've seen you upset. Quite interesting. Yeah, I think just perspective is important, right? Any little setbacks you have, just look at it big picture. Are you still on the path of the kind of person you want to be? And this comes to a point that I think is really important. You need to have long-term vision and long-term passions. Do you agree? 100%. And to combine those two together, long-term vision and long-term passion is just creating a purpose for yourself. Uh -huh. Obviously, your purpose is never set. You always iterate it, expand it. You get new information, what's mm. going on around you, and then you add to the vision that you have for the future. But you always have the path. You don't know where it's going to lead, but you know the direction that you're taking. Exactly. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite sayings. If a man knows not which port he sails, no wind is favorable. So basically, if you don't have that long-term goal that you're working towards, you can be hustling, hustling your ass off, but going in the wrong direction. You could be going back. Even to add to that, I think there's another quote. You know, if you don't have that purpose, I'm paraphrasing here, but you go nowhere fast. Like everyone's busy. Everyone's trying to get somewhere. But if you don't really know where the hell you're going, you're getting nowhere fast and time mm. is ticking every single day. Yeah. And you got to make the most of every moment at every point, right? And the thing I always like to refer back to is the concept that I read in The 50th Law by Robert Greene and 50 Cent, yeah. lifetime versus dead time. Mm. Lifetime, you're working for yourself, you're building a future that impacts the thing that you want to manifest into reality. Uh -huh. Dead time means you're spending your time, your energy, your resources for someone else's dream, Absolutely. for someone else's passions. Yeah. And then you're not actually being productive for yourself. On that point then, do you think people should go straight into entrepreneurship if you have that long-term goal? Because, you know, we have different opinions. We've met a number of people over the years who have different opinions as well. Kind of common advice might be go to a startup, go into corporate. But what you just said, is that not dead time? Are you not working for someone else? Or because there's a bigger player here, namely building connections, building a network, building a financial base. Is it worth it? As you said, you and I have different opinions about this. To, to be more clear, I think, if I'm not mistaken, your opinion is that it's better to go in to entrepreneurship early, mm. make the mistakes early, mm. uh, get those, you know, get that experience. Prov provided you have the means to do so, right? So for me personally, I've worked in corporate for a couple of years now. They give me the financial, do you want to call it safety net or cushion that allows yeah. me to kind of make the jump in my mid-20s. And I appreciate not everyone has those advantages. So while I do think, yes, you should go in as early as possible, I am also a strong advocate of, you know, spend a couple of years building up your wealth, building up your network if you have a small network to begin with, uh, building up a bit of social capital as well, um, and maybe even figuring out what you want to do, be that being kind of working in industry, or as importantly, figuring out what you don't want to do. Look, I, I partially agree, because in university, if you remember, I was always that guy. Mm. What are you going to do after university? Yeah. People ask me, I would say, I'm going to start a business. Yeah. I'm going to do straight off how the bat. Did they, how did they react when you said that? Well, people look at you like you got about four heads and uh, seven eyes. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? Rolling their eyes, I'm sure. Yeah, well, the thing is, a lot of people, they go in with the mentality of the university of ticking the box. Mm. I'm in this great university. Yeah. I made it. Yeah. I get my degree. And then you get your sick job, nice, yeah. fancy corporate job, whatever yeah. that is. It's box ticking. It's classic behavior of the overachiever. You're always trying to get to that next phase that's set up for you in the model of the world that you've built as a child. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been built for you as well, right? You're getting all yes. of this stuff. 
a lot of us have all of this stuff shoved down our throat from a young age, be it from teachers, school, parents, yeah, yeah, any kind of parental figure or people you look up to, mentors even. And we're not taught to think critically about Absolutely. that. Think, is this really what I want to do? And is this is this the way it has to be? Mm. Maybe historically it was like that, but now the world is changing. Technology is at all of our fingertips. You got the internet, you got endless information, mm. you got endless access to resources like courses, skills, everything. Mm. So I think the game has really changed now. You know, people's perspectives are also gradually starting to change with it and everyone's mm. seeing that this is a possibility almost to the point where it's romanticized and then actually the elements of hard work and the elements of hey what problem i'm actually solving goes out the window so yeah. to, to go back to your point what is better so in my opinion building a skill set building a really valuable skill set which you can use yeah. as your usp as a human being yeah. in the working world and then to leverage that skill set in some way to then start a business, but not just starting a business for the sake of starting a business, because that falls into the romantic picture, but rather what problem in the market are you actually solving? Mm. Where have you identified the issue and what is your proposed solution? Because that's it, that's that's what business is about at the end of the day. It's about catering to a problem. Is it about building your skill set around a problem you find or vice versa? Because people will be listening and say, like what skill what skill is he talking about he's talking about social skills soft skills leadership skills hard skills such as coding academic knowledge i mean it could be anything right well, i think ideas you know ideas just come from where do ideas come from at the end of the day come from experience as mm. well as creativity mm. so if you're actually in industry working in industry you're getting exposure to the problems in industry yep. you're seeing what's actually going on in the niche that you work in yep. whether that's finance whether that's sales whether that's marketing yep. whether that's you know healthcare whether it's a endless uh, list of industries that you can think of but yeah so building that skill set actually gives you exposure to industry where you actually get to see on the ground level where do the problems exist mm. and on top of that you don't just have to be in a particular job to get that yeah. but having conversations networking with people from different industries looking at what's actually going on around you reading avidly around like one thing i love to read is mckinsey insights they always have really good breakdowns of different industries things that i'd never considered because you know i'm a software engineer the things that come across my desk aren't necessarily uh, in the building industry, the manufacturing industry, in the utilities industry. So when I read articles by McKinsey or other big companies that create these documents, it gives me a lot of insight and information mm. on what's actually going on in the business world. I think it's really important to stay on top of that. And then if you find something that's quite interesting or if you find the area that you think your skills could actually add value here, like my specialty being in data analytics, statistics, machine learning, that kind of stuff. So then it's like, okay, what areas are ripe for those skills. So reading widely, building a skill set, networking, speaking to people, getting first-hand accounts, first-hand information. I think that's the way to go about it. Pers that's my personal way to go about it. But one size does not fit all here. And really it's down to each individual and what they see fit. Like if you if you think there's a problem to solve, I think that's, it all starts with that. And do I have the resources to solve this problem and then where can i find the people that are going to make this idea a reality and working endlessly at that exactly we're talking about ideas as well ideas are generally a dime a dozen everyone has a lot of ideas what separates are the ones who execute with conviction right you don't have to be the most amazing coder leader these kind of maybe a stereotypical salesperson future ceo type but what you do need to have is a vision and have conviction in your vision absolutely
And speaking of someone who has conviction in their vision, welcome, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Good evening. Good evening. How are we? Doing very well. How are you? Very well. How have the weekend's been for both of you? Fantastic, mate. Living life. How about yours? What have you been up to? Uh, just ate a massive roast. So we just cooked as a flat. So I'm absolutely fucking full. Don't fall asleep on us halfway through here. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm good. I've just eaten and then I'm going for a walk and then I'm going to the gym. So can't, can't complain. Good yeah, evening. Bro. And there's Formula One on as well. So good yeah. weekend. Good weekend so far. Unreal. And how have you, how have you been in general? I'd say I've probably had a, a stressful last three or four months, but, um, you know, transitioning into full-time entrepreneur life. But, um, but yeah, very good. I've learned a huge amount as well, which is always good. Yeah, I can't complain at the moment. Things are looking very positive, I'd say. It's actually an interesting time as well, which I'll go into in a bit. But, um, but yeah. First thing, probably for the benefit of the listeners, is uh, give us a bit of context there. You said last three, four months, very busy. What were you doing before? And what mm-hmm. have you transitioned into? So a bit about my background, um, economic student, uh, was going the route of banking and trading and all that fun, which is pretty much what all of my mates do. And then I found myself in a startup one summer. I've got to give a shout out to working startups, best place to find a job in a startup. Nice. So I came across a little internship during one summer, first year of university, found myself in a startup, didn't know anything about them at the time. Joined with two founders who, you know, were building an MVP, you know, had a dev team out in India, the classic sort of situation. I joined as the first sales guy. It was um, an Amazon marketplace for for builders, easiest way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So our audience were builders, merchants were selling on the platform and it was builders who were buying from us. Okay. So, and I joined as the first sales guy, took the product to the builders, merchants to onboard them. Mm-hmm. I literally went around that summer with like a PowerPoint presentation, which I pretended was like the live marketplace, you know, and I clicked on it in certain ways in order for it to make it look like it worked. <laughs> on board and merchant, so on, so on. So that was the, my first like sort of throw into the startup world. Yeah. Uh, I then, you know, did a couple other internships and then I actually went back as the head of business development. I rejoined them when they had a product which was live and ready to take to market. So I did that for a number of months. We had a good year there. And then COVID hit us just as we were raising Series A. So we looked like we were you know, about to take on one and a half, two mil, like it's a big raise for us. And then um, our sales figures just dropped because the builders we were targeting were the sorts of guys who were going in and doing like refurbishments or small attic conversions and things like that. And you know, no one wanted them in their houses. So suddenly all the merchants closed, all the builders stopped going in. And we went from doing, you know, 100K month on month to literally like 10, 15K just on sales. So didn't raise, didn't close. And I ended up moving on from there. Uh, then did some sort of like sales stuff. So I'm a sales background is my main focus. And then about six months ago, I went, Jock, screw it. This is my time. I'm going to back myself. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to start something myself. And um, yeah, so that's been the last six months. It's just been sort of on my own back, trying to figure out what did I want to you know, build and, um, and going for it. So, so yeah. let me stop you there. You left your job before having a concrete idea. Yes. And that was, uh, that was the interesting thing I did. It was, I was in a position where I had a job offer to move to another startup uh-huh. to be head of business development again there. I decided, and it was either to move to that or it was to uh, go to another position and at that time, I was like trying to figure out, I was like, what's best for me? Like, do I want to go to this job or do I want to go for this job? And 
I realized I didn't want to go to either. Either of the startups I would have gone to, I was literally going and I could see, you know, potential in both of them. But ultimately, I was going to be making someone else rich. Okay. And yeah. I was offered shares in both, but it was, you know, they'd already raised. So it was like, you know, really, really insignificant shares. And I thought to myself, yes, maybe these shares will be worth 100 grand in 12 months' time. But the guy who I'm doing it for is going to be worth 20 million, you know. And I want to be worth 20 million, not 100 grand. And I thought, do you know what? This is, I had savings and I thought, do you know what? Screw it. You know, I can come up with an idea. And so that was the unusual thing. I actually left with no idea, no concrete thing that I was going to move on to. Just yeah. a network, which I think is very strong of individuals who I knew I could lean on for ideas or for like, you know, help in different directions. So, um, so I thought, screw it. Let's, let's see what I can do. What did you add on in the end then? What is your business currently? Right. So the main startup I know at the moment we're working on is in pet tech. So I'm working with Tara, who's actually a mutual friend of mine and Siraj's. We met and we discussed a few different ideas in pet tech. And what we're doing is we're building an app which allows owners of dogs or pets or cats to speak directly to vets, trainers, nutritionists, and behaviorists. So it's an app which allows you know me as an individual, as an owner, to find out answers to everyday questions, which otherwise I'd have to go to the vets and spend 50, 60 quid for the appointment. I have to go all the way there you know, and um, waste my time doing that. So um, we're basically providing a, an app with one-stop shop for everything you need to know to care about your, your animal. Right. And is that, does that operate as kind of like a marketplace or a kind of link between you and the service providers? Or do you have your kind of own proprietary database that you work off? So the way we're doing it for the very basic, so we're just, we're just building the MVP, which is yeah. the exciting thing. We actually brought on a CTO on Friday last week. Nice. So Impressive. up to this point, we've been trying to raise off of just the idea. That was the idea. that was what we were trying to do to begin with. So for the last two months, we've we've gone with the deck. You know, we've been you know doing investor meetings week and week. Yeah. We've been applying some angel groups. We actually did a accelerator as well for four months. So that was from September we started the accelerator. So we did that for four months, which was really good. Like helped us sort of position the company well and uh, put us in a lot of in front of a lot of people as well. So. We've been trying to raise for the last two months properly. And, you know, well, the feedback we were getting was we either need to have some sort of MVP or we need to have, you know, you know, we need to show some sort of traction. So we decided that the right thing for us to do now would be to take on a CTO. He started building and we're hoping to have something which we can onboard some, you know, a few hundred, you know, initial users onto so that we can prove the product. So that, that's the sort of plan now. That's how we've pivoted slightly. Well, um, before we go jump into that, it's quite a lot, lot said there, right? <laughs> So, and that's all good. It's good, good stuff. Um, what I wanted to know, right? So, at the very beginning, because you said you studied economics, mm -hmm. and somehow you found yourself on the website working startups. Yeah. What What motivated that? Where did When did you realize that? Do you know what? I don't want to be in a corporate job. I want to get into this space. What What spurred that decision? It's funny because when I was at university, I did the very classic things. Hey, I. I saw Gymshark blowing up and I thought, hey, I'll start a gym clothing brand and, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire next week. So <laughs> I did the classic, you know, design some gym clothes. You know, I've still got a couple hundred left, you know, the T-shirts that I ordered from Alibaba. You know, I did the classic stuff like that while I was at university. I got the £3,000 from the Santander, you know, Entrepreneurship Award or whatever. You know, where you walk into a room, you tell them a pitch and they give you money just for like absolutely nothing. Yeah, so I, I did that at university, but I never considered um, being an entrepreneur as my sort of uh, thing that I could do after university. 
Like I never considered the startup world because I didn't know it at the time. So I actually found work in startups by pure coincidence. You know, it was the beginning of the summer holidays. I had 14 weeks and I thought, fucking hell, I've watched a week of Netflix already. Like I'm going to kill myself if I sit here for another 13 weeks and do nothing. So I applied for five jobs on a Sunday. I had five phone interviews on the Monday and I literally had five job offers by Friday. And I started a Bob trade on the Monday, you know, and that was when I literally discovered how startups can move like, you know, like that. They've raised, they've got a bit of money. There's no waiting about, they need to start selling, you know, so um, they bring people in quick. So that was my first introduction. But even after that internship, I thought, wow, this was insane. And previously I'd worked at IBM for a year and a bit. So I was used to the corporate company. But even after that, I still wasn't like set into going into the startup world. I still thought to myself, hey, I want to go the corporate lifestyle. I still want to do that. I then went to Investec, the bank, and interned there. And so when it was after that where I had the real direct comparison of an internship in a bank and an internship, you know, in a startup where I got to do absolutely everything and anything that I wanted to, you know, I learned a huge amount in four months when I was there. But I thought, hey, you know, startups is where I, I need to stay. And so that was why when I graduated, I went back okay. to that initial startup and I went back there and, and I've never gone back since. So what, so how, if you were to summarize, what attracts you to the startup space? Because I guess a lot, there's a lot of people, right? Hmm. in your shoes when you were doing that internship, but they're probably considerably further on, like actually working corporate job in the nine to six and want it and just don't probably don't like it. I, I imagine there's a, I mean, I imagine there's a fair proportion of people that enjoy it and they're happy to be where they are. But I imagine there's a significant number of people that are like, there's gotta be more to my life than this. The point is why, why would one choose to start their career in a startup over perhaps, you know, kind of like a big, big dollar signs being dangled in front of you by a big bank or a big consultancy firm, for example. I know you just listed one of the reasons being you kind of get into the trenches, you have a much more kind of hands-on experience. Can you think of anything else that maybe, because I know from my experience at interning at a startup, that people were a lot more kind of friendly, personable, willing to kind of give you ad hoc work, maybe more open to your own learning opportunities. More open-minded, right? More open-minded, Generally, yeah. Yeah, to some are more open-minded, exactly. Is that something you can relate to with your experiences? Yeah, so I've got a few friends who've worked in startups. And I think right now, startup is it's become a really vague word. You know, maybe yeah. four, five, six years ago, when you said startup, it was like a company which had five to 15 people. In the garage. Know, yeah, yeah, you know, and it was really small. Maybe they were bootstrapping it or they'd raise, you know, 100 grand from some rich guy they knew. You know, it was very much more of a startup. And that was what I felt like I joined, you know, when I first did my internship in a startup. You know, there was two other people, founders, you know, they've been going for like six months. They've got some guy to give them 150K and they were like, you know, and they were going for it. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, but now like a startup is, you know, anything okay. five to a hundred people, you know, you don't know yeah. if you're a startup sometimes. Eh? Any, any tech company now that's private is now a startup, right? I mean, it's exactly. not, it's not even about the size of the company. Yeah. So to me, I would start by saying, to me, a startup is, the you know, the one to 20 employees, right? They're still in that early stage. They've, They've built something, you know, and they've taken it to market, but they know there's so much room to improve and there's still so much room to grow. Like to me, yeah. that is like what really makes the startup. Because when you join, you know, when I've been in companies like that, the fact that people don't know, they know they've got a great idea and they know that it is benefiting people and that there is a market for it, but they don't always know exactly how they're going to get it to, you know, the mass users. You know, they're still trying to figure that out and they're trying to figure out exactly how to make their product 
you know, perfect for the market. You say they don't um, really have product market fit yet. It's kind yeah. of what you're trying to say, yeah. Or exactly. innovation is actively required as well, right? Yes. It's like yeah. we need creative thought here. It's we don't have a set process. We're figuring exactly. out what that process is, and we want your help to come and do that. Exactly. And they might still have, you know, four or five people in a sales team, and they might have two or three designers and three or four, you know, dev team, you know, in the dev team. So they they've still got a date, a really decent base, but they're still willing to take someone on and say, hey, look. We know you've only got a year's experience where you've just come from university, but we want to hear your ideas and we will run with it over the CEO's idea if we really believe in what you're telling us. Whereas if you, you know, when I was at IBM, I I loved the company. I had a great time there, but you know, there was no, no option for me to go to the team I was with and say, Hey, listen, we should really just totally change this approach and go this way because they've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. You know, their clients wouldn't let them change it. They couldn't really change the process. Yeah. It took six months for me to be able to do my full job because I didn't get signed off from every single department in, you know, the United States or wherever they had to sign off to yeah. give me access to every product. You're you so know, consumed and just consumed in red tape, aren't you? Exactly. That's another thing that when you go into a startup, just as you said, they look to you to provide ideas. They wouldn't have hired you if they just wanted yeah. you to be a dog's body, get you coffee, right? Yeah. It's very and even if you're going in, you know, on the very base, you're joining for yeah. 16, 17, 18K a year, whatever it is, you know, they can afford to pay you at the time or whatever skills that you're bringing. They're still not looking at you and going, hey, look, we're paying you minimum wage. We know that. But we still want you to come in as if, you know, you were the top guy and you we believe in you, you know, and, that, and that's what they offer you. And so, yes, you come in and they've got a job which they want you to fulfill. But if you can fulfill that job in a different way or a different approach, they'll run with it. Uh, and, and that's what I found. You know, when I joined as the intern, no sales experience before that. You know, I was a business analyst previous to that. So no sales approach, but I just I chatted a bit. You know? mm. And um, they said to me, hey, let's start with cold calls and cold emails. You know, so we tried that approach and then we went a different way and nothing was really working. Then I went, hold on one second. You know, I speak Polish. My mom's from Poland and, you know, we're in the building industry. And I was thinking there must be some Polish builders merchants out there. So I Googled Polish Builders Merchant. We drove around to it, me and the CEO. You know, I did the whole thing in Polish and the guy immediately signed up and I went, hey, you know, Polish people, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I mean, I was walking into like, you know, British, like fully established companies. And I was like, anyone Polish? You know, anyone? <laughs> and they would come chat to me. And then I'd be like, so what's the name of the owner over there? And he'd be like, oh, he's cool, you know. Martin, you know, go chat to him. He really loves so-and-so, you know, and I'd know. And he would just send me straight into the office. And I'd be like, hey, listen, Michal from downstairs told me to come chat to you because he said, you know, I'm his mate. And he told me that, you know, we do some business together. And before you know, I've signed them. So we then didn't even bother phoning people. Me and the CEO drove around for like the first month and just walked into every business, you know, we drove past, you know, and that worked, you know. And it was just because, you know, I found a Polish company and we went straight in and then, on the way back from that Polish company, we signed three more businesses. Yeah, and we got yeah. to the end of the meeting at 3 p.m. So we had like three hours left of the day. And literally every single place we drove past, we just walked in and we, we signed every single one. You know, so we realized that was the approach we needed to take. But you know, but if I joined a company with 100 plus employees, they would have gone, listen, here's the script. Here's the email, you know, the template. Yeah. Send it. You know, one in 100 will reply and you do a meeting. With, do you know what I mean? You know, so it's very different in that sort of response. And what's interesting as well is you had an edge, your edge being your second language, and yeah. you used it to your absolute max, right? I think mm-hmm. that's something we, w- we would want to encourage listeners to do is basically 
think about what your edge is or yeah. kind of maybe special talent or anything, anything you might have to hand that you can kind of get an upper hand in the workplace and just use it to your advantage. Yeah. yeah. There's something you that, said earlier. Sorry, go on, go on. I was just going to say, and, and that edge doesn't need to be that you can code or something like that. It can yeah. be a skill set which you might not think is valuable, but you just need to figure out how it is valuable, you yeah. know, and where you can apply it. You know, you right. don't have to be a mathematician or a dev guy or, you know, anything like that. It's just figuring out what it is that you have. You know, I don't speak perfect blue and Polish, but, you know, but they love that. <laughs> you know, I'm trying. <laughs> You're trying, so, yeah, um, yeah. It's okay, like a, so, uh, Nelson Nelson Mandela once said, if you speak to someone in a language they understand, you speak to their head. Whereas you speak to someone in their mother tongue, you speak to their heart. Mm-hmm. So it feels like you really leverage that one. Mm-hmm. Spoke yeah. right to the hearts of the building merchants. Yeah. You know, and I, I was talking to them about their struggles of being in England, you know, and and here yeah. we are. And like, you know, one of the one of the women who was in, you know, who joined later on, you know, because she was female and there's not many women in the industry, you know, she used that. So she was calling, you know, merchants and just genuinely asking them questions. And they were very happy to speak to her because, you know, it was unusual, you know, to have a, a woman in the trade. And, you know, no disrespect whatsoever, but it, it worked brilliantly for her, you know. So it's just finding what what works there as well. Yeah. It's something you mentioned earlier about uh, where, you, where you left working for somebody else. You're like, I wanted, I, I could get 100K in a year, but I would rather be the guy getting 20 million in a year. There's a book that I read a while ago. James, I think you read this book as well. It's called The 50 at Law by uh, 50 Cent and Robert Greene. And they talk about a concept in it about basically two, two types of time, live and dead time. Dead time is time that you spend working endlessly, but you're working for somebody else's dreams. You're working for somebody else's goals. So ultimately, you can work 24-7, put in the graveyard shifts, but the reward that you get from that time is cap and there's no there's no going beyond that so irrespective of how hard you work at the end of the day it's for somebody else you don't get that time given back to you because ultimately our most expensive commodity is time you know because you never get that back you can't buy that back with um, how much our money you have whereas on the other hand lifetime is where you're actively working on something and that's contributing to your goals your future your vision so by the sounds that you've really taken that decision to switch from dead to lifetime. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I had such a stressful time trying to decide what job to go to and what was right for me and all of that. And it was, I then felt so much peace that it was stressful afterwards, but I felt so much peace with myself when I decided, you know what, I'm going to give myself some time to try and do this because, you know, I had the savings, you know, I had some, I knew I had some burn time, you know, and I could go for it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was funny, you know, that was when I was like, you know, I said to my girlfriend, Hannah, I was like, wow, you know, I actually am now, I'm good with this. You know, I'm not stressed about which way to go, or what to do, or if this is the right job for me, like this, you know, this is right for me. You know, right now, I feel like this is the right thing to do. Do you feel like you had to have those years kind of be um, at various startups to get to that point? Because we've spoken to a number of people that say, kind of give us slightly different advice, for example, go straight from uni into entrepreneurship, because that's when you have the least to lose. Or some people we find kind of enter it in their late 20s and 30s. Do you find that those few years spent have really kind of developed you as a person and developed your business acumen such as you were able to kind of make that leap as well? I definitely think it has. Yes, is the short answer. Yeah. But I think that the business acumen is the thing that I've learned the most from yeah. the last couple of years, especially within the startups where I've you know been working really closely with the senior people and I've seen how they've, how they've raised, how they've 
prepared the business plans, those sorts of things have been really useful. But the thing which I think I'm almost still lacking is, you know, if I'd spent 15 years working in finance, I would probably then move to doing a startup within finance. And A, it'd be easier for me to raise because, you know, I've got the backing and I've got the experience behind me. But B, I've probably over the last 15 years, I've seen opportunities for businesses to come up, you know, or different ideas. And that is one place where I would say that, you know, having two years in an industry or, you know, a few months here and a few months here, it gives you the opportunity to start seeing where there is, you know, possibility yeah. for business ideas. Yeah. yeah. And I think that can be important. And I don't even think you need to necessarily work in the industry. You just need to have a big network and go out and speak to people and understand where problems lie. Because like, ultimately, a startup is solving a problem, you know, or improving on something which is, you know, in, in place at the moment. So, so expo- exposure, exposure to the industry, yeah. 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 So I think that is beneficial, you know, to be able to, you know, do that and see where problems lie. You know, one of my co-founders is a vet. And so that's how we're able to go into the space because, you know, I know how to sell. Uh, you know, we've got the right sort of skills between us, you know, which complement each other. And yeah. so we've got the industry knowledge. You know, I know how to start, you know, I've done businesses in the past now, you know, being with the CEOs, really closely work with them. So I... I can see how you grow a company, yeah. You know, but but we still needed that industry knowledge. You know, we couldn't just pick an idea out of the blue and and choose an industry which we had no you knew nothing about. So that is still, I'd say, is important. And but yes, because I'm still young, you know, I don't have a family and I don't have you know I don't have a lot I need to spend a month you know survive. You know, I'm in a position where I can take that risk. You know, it's not a problem. So I still think you need to do it early, but I think you know you still need to be able to have some industry knowledge from somewhere. Yeah, you know, some sort yeah. of exposure which allows you to come up with those ideas. Yeah, something that was said to me, and I worked in VC as well. One of my managers said to me, like, look, at the end of the day, if you work in VC for three to five years, then you go to try start your own business. Not many people are going to want to invest in you because you've got no exposure to the real world and the real industry. So you have to, you got to know something about the world for people to to believe you ultimately. I'm not saying it's a must, but as you said, like it definitely does go a long way and it does help you in terms of mapping out how things work. Yeah, yeah work, working in a startup or having founded your own business are two massive plus points, definitely. One thing I know, Patrick, is that, so you started what with the, in the construction industry, quite a, quite an interesting place. If someone said, where are the hot startups? I would, that many people would be like, ah, construction, that's where we got to go. It reminds me of a book that I came across by a guy called Jamie Waller called Unsexy Business. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's maybe a conversation we can have in a bit. But now you're working with pets. So what, what, would you, what kind of springs to mind is that I know for a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's like they've got this major passion in a particular industry, in a particular area. And they're like, they have strong conviction that I want to be in this space and I want to be doing this thing. Whereas for you, it's quite, it seems quite different. So I want to know what's your philosophy to business and what motivates you to work on these projects that vary in completely different ends of the spectrum. The first thing I'd say is I've still got to understand why the business is beneficial, like why the startup is a positive thing to the industry. You know, I can't, I probably could, but I can't sell something which I genuinely don't believe is beneficial, right? Uh-huh. I'll, I'll say that for a start. You know, I'm not selling just anything, okay? <laughs> wolf, wolf tickets, wolf tickets, <laughs> he's selling wolf tickets. When I, look, when I joined the construction, yeah, I knew nothing about construction, right? Absolutely nothing. And by the end of the four months, I was genuinely closing deals with guys who were like 60, had been in the industry for like 40 years, 
you know, no one even asked how old I was because, you know, people were assuming I was like 30 plus because otherwise they would have laughed me out of the room, you know, because I was like 20. Okay. So I was just like, you know, I wasn't shaven. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. <laughs> so, you know, look a little bit older. But once I sat with the CEO for a week or two, I really understood why this product was going to change the industry. And I still believe that the concept was unbelievable and that the industry is just, you know, so old fashioned that it will change one day dramatically. So I really understood that. But what I'll say now is in the pet tech, it came from the fact that I've now got a dog. Okay. So I've got a, I got a dog two years ago. You know, she's two years now. So I, you know, I've had a lockdown puppy as they call them. And I've seen the massive change in the audience, you know, the type of people who are getting dogs. And that's why I can see myself, why I'm the target person, you know, for what we're trying to build. Because the industry has just changed. You know, it used to be that, you know, your 30 to 50 year olds were the main person who had a pet, you know, who had a dog because they had a family, you know, so they got a dog to go with the family. They, you know, they cared about the dog, but it wasn't like, you know, their life and soul. But now you walk around London and there's 25 to 35 year olds who have got dogs because they don't want a child, you know, and they've, you know, they're working from home now. They don't have to be in the office every day. You know, it's a total change in the types of people who are getting dogs. You know, you're getting Gen Zers and early millennials who are getting dogs, you know, 16, 25 year olds are suddenly like, you know, all out there with puppies. So there was just a massive shift in the industry. So I will say that I have to understand the product. I have to be able to get excited by it still. And look, construction is not exciting, but I genuinely believe that what we're going to build would have been, you know, one of the biggest products in the, you know, in the industry. And the construction market is huge. You know, look out your window; there's construction happening absolutely everywhere. You know, so um, so I think I, I can't get behind something in an industry which I know absolutely nothing about and don't, you know, believe in what they're building. You know, I can't do both of those, but I can go into an industry, quickly understand the industry and see why a product would have, you know, a big positive impact on it. You know, that, that's the thing. It still has to have that positive impact. It can't just be, you know, one of these products which someone has built because they're trying to piggyback on the back of something and, you know, it's a bit late for it or something like that, you know. It's got to change the face of the industry still. Do you, do you see yourself doing this for a number of years or do you think there'll ever be a point where you kind of tie yourself to one industry, tie yourself to one business or product? <laughs> Or is it too early to call at this moment in time? You're just enjoying the ride. See, it's funny. Um, right now, if I was to sort of plan the next 15 years, let's say it went absolutely perfectly. Well, yeah. What I really love is to be five years within every pet because I think we've got a brilliant product. I think we can really grow and, and do something amazing here. I would like to exit that. And I would then like to go on to be more advisory positions within a number of startups because I, I enjoy being in a range of different ideas and you know, being in that really early stage, that's where I, you know, really find the most enjoyment. So it's I, like, like, an, like an angel investor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to limit myself, limit myself right now to one industry. You know, I want to go out there and discover where are the industries which are growing and where are the business ideas which are which are going to make that difference. You know, so that, I wouldn't say that I want to limit myself yet. You know, I, I think this is a great industry and we've got a great product right now at every pet. But in five years, in 10 years, you know, I, I would like to see what other exciting things are there out there? What are your early thoughts on that top three industries of interest? Oh, I will still say number one, construction, because I've been in it now and I can see how old fashioned it is. You would be amazed by how many 
merchants that are out there working with paper and no laptops, That's you know, yeah. and no computers, nothing, you know, paper-based completely. And, you know, I had to walk out of those places. I couldn't even sell to them, you know, because they, they couldn't even receive an email from me. Yeah. Right. So construction is one really big one out there for me. I still think that's going to change dramatically. Um, Transport as well is another one with like very archaic systems. Yeah. As you said, any industry that kind of still uses paper or very, very basic computer functionality has yeah. issues like shipping as well with supply chains. Yeah. That's like a lot of kind of mid market companies springing up. Um, I would say my other one, um, I, I'm really interested in property. Yeah. And so that is something which I will continue to build throughout my life, you know, just sort of that passive income. So I think it's a really great way to, you know, build a very small portfolio and, you know, give you some safety, you know, when you're trying to do more you know, risky things. Um, but I think there's a big problem, obviously, with, you know, not enough houses and things like that. So how people, how companies will start to innovate around that, I think is interesting. Like you're starting to see different things like, in some of the Asian countries like Japan and Hong Kong and, you know, um, where, you know, there's really densely populated, you know, cities. So I think that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, third one. Ooh. I don't know. I'll come back to you on the third one. All right. Uh, I imagine it'll be closely related to construction, property, building, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Actually, those two are pretty similar, aren't they? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's a borderline cop-out, but we'll let you have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it for the moment. All right, you guys then, where are you? Where do you see the, the future? Well, you know me, Patrick. I'm a tech man, technology. Uh, where would it be? I think uh, based on a conversation we had with another guest of ours on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, brain machine computer interfaces. So uh, the sort of symbiotic relationship between, well, the, the formation of a symbiotic relationship between the brain and the computers. And one, learning how the brain works to a greater extent and then modeling the behavior of computers with that. I think whether we like it or not, I have my own opinions about this, but VR, VR is something that's growing very fast. I mean, Facebook changed their name to Meta, this idea of the metaverse, already businesses buying space in a metaverse, the advent of flexible working as well, a lot of people working remotely and from home. So that kind of plays in with that trend. You know, it's, it's, it's the classic one where technology and a trend come together, like the advent of a new technology and then a, a trend that's happening naturally. So you got COVID, everyone's kind of become more remote, more isolated to a certain degree. And then you have this ability to connect virtually. And also I would, I would add into that kind of clean tech and climate tech mm. trend that we, yeah. everyone's been yeah. seeing recently, you know, huge uptake of EVs. Uh, the moment we had a guest on recently as well, who works, um, who founded an EV company, uh, giving us a very interesting insight into just kind of the state of play where he sees kind of energy going in the next few years as well. Um, so kind of sorting all of that out on not just a national level, but on a global scale. How do we deal with potential future energy crises? Obviously, we're faced with kind of the decline in fossil fuels. Will renewables be able to reach that? Will it be able to accelerate at a fast enough rate? Where's the energy going to come from? Is it going to be hydrogen? What type of hydrogen? Is it going to be solar? Is it going to be wind? How do we get these different types of energies to people's homes? Are we eventually going to shift off kind of a grid system and more into a kind of a home by home system? So all of these questions need to be answered. I think it's interesting in um, climate tech as well, just a number of incredibly complex and deep R&D problems there are to solve that just require huge amounts of capex that typically don't get funding because obviously, you know, any kind of investor, individual financial financial institution 
want some kind of short-term return, uh, which they're not going to get from heavy R&D into a project that may say take 10, 20 years. So I think that'll be really interesting to see over the next decade or so where that ends up. Yeah, it seems like you're in agreement, just uh, northern away. Yeah, yeah I'm just, I'm just, I actually was just looking up, there's a company that I, so when I was on the accelerator, it was an impact-driven accelerator. Yeah. So we had um, a lot of companies, you know, who were trying to, like you just said, change like uh, those sorts of spaces. And one of them, which was really interesting, was a company called People. So I'll give them a shout out. P-E-E-P-L. And um, they're based up in Liverpool sort of area. And well, I'm going to butcher what they're doing here, but they're in the crypto space. What they're looking to do over the next few years is they're trying to sort of replace the the deliveroos who are sort of, you know, taking 15, 20%, 25% out of the local economies. And so they're trying to build an infrastructure which allows people to buy different, you know, things from local businesses and then gives them crypto back as a reward to then spend on other local businesses. And really interesting, they're looking at replacing things like um, uh, council tax, which can be paid via their own crypto. So they're doing some really interesting stuff in that sort of local economy space, but using crypto to reward people yeah, and also for transportation as well. That's another thing that they're looking to replace in Liverpool, you know, is how you're paying for, you know, the, the buses and things like that. So um, that, that's something really interesting that they're doing. So check that out. Interesting. Yeah, I think alternative finance is, a, is another industry, mm. right? People, people are moving away from centralized finance. The, the reality of decentralized finance is it's here to stay. You know, Bitcoin's still here. But it's just kind of for those companies, I think it's really about creating proper legitimate value propositions sounds mm-hmm. like the one you just described could very much fall into that category yeah they've raised significant funds already and they're doing they're doing amazing things up you know up north. so um, yeah here's with crypto right it's always about trying to dissect is this a store of value or does it have intrinsic value or is this some, some kind of you know we've all seen in the news over the last year or so method of games shit coins yeah and just bullshit pump and dump schemes which some may even argue NFTs kind of fall squarely into that category. So it's a question of, at least from an investor point of view, trying to dig out the fucking needle in the haystack from all this shit. And that's like, what is a valuable product? What kind of value is it going to add to the world? I don't know, question to either of you two, if you've kind of looked into WorldCoin, uh, if you heard about it, uh, maybe a conversation from uh-huh. time, but basically seeking company that seeks to basically make a single coin and give it to everyone on earth and basically have some kind of retina recognition instead of you know like a passport or identification to really do, like to kind of isolate every person on the planet which of course is a massive task but it's one of the it kind of falls into that bucket of long-term r&d projects and maybe kind of want to keep the eye on in the future but when i think of like crypto that might actually add value that's kind of what you're thinking about right kind of a universal currency able to help people in the most impoverished areas it's just all about that scaling and the execution yeah. And that's the thing. I think there's been a, a big shift across sort of the angel network, I'd say, in yeah. particular, for them looking for companies who are really adding value to people, not just looking to be profitable and, you know, take loads of money from, you know, the market. You know, they're really looking for companies who are, you know, impact driven, changing what is happening out there, you know, and improving people's lives. So I've seen that when I was speaking, you know, when I'm speaking to angels now, like, that seems to be a real big shift for them. I don't know if that's happening in sort of the VC space, but at the sort of lower level investments, I'd say that, you know, that seems to be really apparent. It's interesting. So Patrick, when it comes to every pet, what does the next year look like? What's on the agenda? What are the most important things? So the next very short term and across the next two months, we're looking to build the MVP. So that will allow us to go and onboard, you know, one to 200 users, 
look at how they interact with the app and um, sort of get those initial statistics. And um, and then we're looking to raise around 250K SEIS and EIS investment. So we've got the advanced assurance approval already, which is great. So um, that's sort of the first hurdle. So MVP, do the initial raise, and then we'll be really looking at growth. So our targets for the first 12 months are, are quite modest. We're just looking to get a thousand active users and we're trying to you know see how they interact with the app. We're still very much at the stage that we've got our beliefs. We've done a lot of user research about how they will use the app and what will be the best things for them that you know we're you know adding to them. But we want to actually see what are people using, what are people willing to pay for. So um yeah, that's the first sort of hurdle which we need to come across. So, what um, about the what about the supply side then? Because you get like a thousand users. Do you have yeah. the supply on the platform? It sounds effectively like a marketplace, right? So the way that we'll be modeling it is it's um, every you know every user they pay five pounds a month for access to the app. And that gives them the access to digitizing their healthcare records for their pets. So they can put everything on there. Because at the moment, it's, it's quite old-fashioned in the sense that your vet has all of your records. You know, they're saved as PDF somewhere. And if you want it, you need to email them. You need to request it. So you don't actually know really what has, you know, been you know, done to your animals or done to your dog. So we're going to digitize healthcare records, which allows us to then analyze them as we move forward as well. And we can push back, like, you know, preventative healthcare measures to different users. Um, we're going to provide the messaging features so that they can speak and ask questions to the vets, to the behaviorists, the trainers. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to have in-house vet nurses and vets who will be able to answer these questions. So one of the co-founders is already a vet, so he'll be answering you know, the majority of questions. But then what we found that in vet practices at the moment is that if you call and you ask questions, a lot of those things are actually answered by vet nurses. You know, the nurses, if they've been in the industry for three, four, five years, they've got the knowledge, they know how to solve problems. And so they're sort of the market will tap into. These people who can work from home, they can do a few different additional hours, you know, here and there. And that'll be sort of how we're answering the initial questions and, you know, as we start to grow. So ultimately looking to use an in-house team there, you know, consultants who will be answering the questions rather than going out and onboarding vet practices. Further down the line, we would like to start building those partnerships. But initially, it will just be, you know, the in-house consultants will be answering things. Would you ever consider kind of automating any of that, building your own proprietary database and kind of over time being able to give automated answers without what you're suggesting is kind of human time on the phone over email? Is that somewhere that's kind of near on your product roadmap? You haven't considered it or? That's actually um, from the second raise. So when we do a seed round, that's on the initial sort of Q1 of that raise that we'll be start looking at to integrate some sort of AI, which can answer Great. those more basic questions, you know, provide people with the help there. And there's a company actually out in Spain who have just raised significant money for that sort of thing. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll be, we're considering ourselves as a data company. We'll be analyzing the conversations which I had within the app. Yep. We'll be seeing the types of people that they want to speak to. Is it the vets? Is it the trainers? Is it the behaviorists? And then also because we've got all the health records, we can start going through that and analyzing it. And that's where we can start to drive back engagement without needing to, you know, needing people to speak to vets. They can just get these notifications saying, hey, it's summer. Did you know that you should be looking out for this? You know, your dog is a, a Pomeranian. It's got long hair. Watch out for this. You know, so that's what we'll start to do as well. We'll start to really analyze the data we've got. But it won't be until the C round that we'll be able to start actually, you know, really using that. And is it is it expensive to have the consultants internally? How does that so, work? And what's the cost structure of that like? That's where using the nurses who have this knowledge and have the industry experience will be able to really, you know, save them money. And um, that's where we'll be able to do it, you know, more efficiently. 
because the vets are sort of on a very high tier salary, but the nurses, you know, um, and there's other companies out there who are doing sort of similar models like that. So for example, there's companies like Butter Nut Box who are doing sort of food deliveries and they actually have nurses available that you can speak to you know, at any moment online or, you know, via their chat system so that you can ask questions about, you know, the dietary requirements or the nutritions which are in the food. So that, and that is something which is already sort of being done in the industry. So we'll right. be able to take advantage of that, which is already sort of set up. But then do you pay them a salary? Do you pay them per question? Do you pay them per hour? How does it work? That's still something which we're trying to figure out exactly, but it, it won't be a salary or be by hour or by number of questions which they answer because they can have, you know, one person can have multiple you know, questions going on at once. Imagine when you are, you know, doing a chat bot, you know, on a bank or something like that, and you're asking me for advice, you know, they've got multiple people that they're answering at once. They're not just speaking to one person. So we'll have, you know, per hundred or per 200 users that we'll have, we'll have a certain amount of nurses and vets and trainers allocated to them. So they'll be able to answer, you know, multiple questions at once and have multiple chats going on at the same time. Nice. Good luck with that. That sounds exciting. Sounds like you got a lot of work ahead in the next year or two. Yeah, we're, we're still very, we're very early stage at the moment. We need to get the raise done. We need to get the MVP out. We need to, you know, go from there and see, you know, how the market perceives it. So um, we're excited for it. I think we're in a very good position. You know, we've got a great team, brought on an excellent CTO. You know, we're really ready to go and do it. So, um, so yeah, it's an exciting time for us, I think. So you said um, in an ideal world, you'd look to exit in about five years, you personally. What would kind of be that moment where you think, all right, now's the time. Would it be an IPO? Do you have something in your mind that you're kind of working towards, some target you want to hit before you exit? Um, when we're speaking to angels now and they're asking about our exit strategy, um, what we're looking at is that in the UK, there is no preventative healthcare company for, for pets. You know, they don't exist yet in the market. But out in the US, you've got a couple of companies who have started doing this. You know, they're quite big already. And I think in, in sort of three to five years, when they start looking to come over to the UK or expand into the European markets, I think that would be sort of, if we're perfectly positioned to be bought out by a company like that, that's where we can really, you know, we'd be able to do well. So that's the sort of longer term exit strategy for the moment. Nice. And how about you personally? What would be that moment where you think I've made it? I know you put the, you put the number on it earlier, you said 20 million, but something tells me you wouldn't be happy with 20 mil. So what would be the um, moment where you personally think like, oh, I've done it? I've got some personal goals, like smaller time. So you know, I've got a goddaughter, a godson. I'd like to pay for them to go to university when they get to that stage. I've got a mum who I want to buy a house for. You know, I've got those basic things that I'd like to cover. But I know, I, I don't don't think I'll be settling at the 20. <laughs> it will be, you know, for the first exit, I'd love to be in the sort of, you know, the high teens for the valuation of the company. Yeah. But from then, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where it takes me. Ambitious man. Very ambitious. We've got a few quick fire questions here, Patrick. We usually throw them out at the end of the podcast episode. So the rules are basically we're going to throw a few questions out to you. You've got to answer them. First thing that comes to mind. Yeah, go on then. All right. What's the first word that comes to mind when I say the word success? Uh, fire. Don't know why, but it comes to mind. Fire? Why are you a closet arsonist or something? What's going on here? No, the, the burning desire to like, you know, really build something and achieve something. Okay. Nice. Nice. Excitement. Oh, uh, out for drinks. <laughs> Love it. Honesty. A simple Honesty man. Is the best policy. <laughs> we never set out to relate to the startups, right? No, no absolutely not. Exactly. That's the, that's the whole point. All right. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, I'm a sucker for flying. You know, it takes so long. You know, the tube is so busy these days, right? <laughs> yeah. You should try a zip car, mate. It's going to change your life. 
Mate, but zip cards are fucking central from you know. <laughs> no congestion, George. No parking. None of that. You you got your own car though, no? Yeah, I do, but I'm not driving into. I'm not driving. I'm, I'm driving south. Driving. I'm not driving north. Makes sense. What would the what would the the title of your autobiography be called? Oh, that's a very good question. I'm trying to add like he hasn't thought about it before. We know. My roommate Daniel, who's an actor, would be playing me for starters. You know, better looking, yeah. but a little bit taller. But, um, ooh, probably something along the lines of um, started little, ended big, something like that. Okay, nice. Sounds Maybe like... my sex tape as well. We got one more as well. Can you give us one sentence of advice for first time founders? I would say, don't be, I know the classic is don't be afraid to fail, but I would say try lots of things and don't expect all of them to work and work at them iteratively. You know, so go through the processes, figure out if there's a market fit and um, stick at it until one of them works because, you know, every 20 works. You know, you've got to fail 19 and then hopefully one of them will work. Mate, that actually brings me to a, to a quote from the book that I mentioned briefly earlier on sexy business. Um, I'll read the quote out to you and then let me know your thoughts on it. It's get your hands dirty and start small. Turn pennies into pounds. Stop emailing and phone. Don't take no for an answer. Play the long game. Replicate and don't innovate. What are your thoughts on that? Also, I've got one bit of sales advice from what you just said there. Sorry, this is just a, this is a great thing that I was told ages ago. And um, when you said don't email, call. If you're ever on a sales call or in person and someone says, send me an email because they're just trying to fob you off, you ask them what they want to know in the email. And they'll say, hey, tell me about this. And then instead of finishing the call, you tell them the answer to what they've just asked. Mm. And then you say, what else would you like to know in the email? And then they tell you, and then you answer again. And before you know it, you've closed them. And that worked every fucking time. So that's just a bit of sales advice there. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it's very true. I think you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty. You know, a lot of people think, hey, I'm going to sit in front of my computer and I'm going to sit in my room, you know, 20 hours a day and I'm going to build something that's going to be amazing. But I think you've got to get out there. You've got to see people. You've got to see your clients in real life, you know, and you've got to be willing to do that. You know, so I, I think it's about getting a bit dirty as well. You know, you can't just sit behind the screen and do it. Absolutely. And uh, let's finish on, let's finish on this one. Uh, what's the happiest moment of your life? Happiest of my moment of my life so far or... So far, so yeah. far, yeah. So we, don't, far. We, don't, we, don't, we haven't we haven't invented the time machine over here yet. <laughs> oh yeah, you can always guess. Happiest moment of my life so far. I know this is a bad one, but I've got a puppy and she's fucking wonderful. So bringing her back was a very good day. I've got to say. So um, I don't tell my girlfriend that because she'll be fucking disappointed. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the dog's a good one. I'm afraid. What's the what's the dog's name? Billy, girl Billy though, like Billy Eilish. Oh, what breed is she? She's a little... No, I'm in Clapham, so I've got a sausage dog, all right? You know, a <laughs> little sausage dog. But, uh, yeah. She's actually, funny enough, she's came on her season today, so she's very, like, hormonal and, like, feeling sorry for herself. So um, she's pretty cute today at the moment. <laughs> Love it. That's nice. All right, Patrick, listen, man, thanks very much for talking to us. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. And, yeah, it was a pleasure. Wish all you guys right. the best. All right, take care, take bro. Care all the best with everything. See you, guys.